Hello, my name is Blaze Bailey. Hey, this is Chuck Billy from Testament right here on Mars Attacks. Hey, what's up? This is Joey Z from Life of Agony. Hey, this is Tim Ripper Owens. This is Bobby Bliss from Overkill. You stay tuned. Hey, this is Dale Lorenzo from Hades, nonfiction, the curse, and my horrible solo music. You're listening to my boy Victor on Mars Attacks. Hey, this is Ron Bumble for Fall of Guns N' Roses, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. How you doing? This is Frankie Benali from Quiet Riot. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, this is Dave Winner from Monster Magnet, and you are listening to Mars Attacks. Hello, everybody. This is Michael Kiske talking, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. Hey, this is Richard Patrick from Stilter, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. Hey everybody, what's happening? This is John Bush, and you're cranking it up on Mars Attacks. Hey, Weather's Always, this is Luna from Holy Crown. You're listening to Mars Attacks. Shred on. Well, the sun comes up as a lump of coal, and the palm trees catch on fire. And you tap your confession on a cold dead one and all to another episode of the Mars Attacks podcast. I'm your host Victor and this is episode 23 and before getting things underway just want to remind you if you've come to this podcast via Blabbermouth or Brave Words or Anti-Music or a site similar to that remember that you can listen to or download these podcasts in their entirety from MarsAttacksRadio.com in any event, let's get things started here. We were just listening to a little Monster Magnet off of the new album, Mastermind. That is the Titan who cried like a baby. Uh, you'll find out when you listen to the interview with Dave Windorf why this is the song that I start the episode out with. And uh, what we're going to do is the interview with Dave is a little under an hour. As usual, we're going to start out with some Monster Magnet music. And then come out of the interview with some more tracks before wrapping things up. In any event, the album Mastermind uh, just came out. The interview was recorded slightly before the album came out. So, although I had good intentions, I wasn't able to get it out before the album did come out. I apologize for that. Um, with that said, the album absolutely kicks ass. To me, it's one of their strongest albums, start to finish. There are so many good tracks off of this album for me to play, um, which, you know, as the interview goes on, uh, while I'm putting things together, I'll decide whether we're going to do just songs off of this album or whether we'll mix in some classic tracks or not. But anyway, let's do a little Bored with Saucery off of... Masterminds by Monster Magnet.
tags that have been put on Monster Magnet, different types of labels, whether it's hard rock, space rock, stoner rock. Do you feel that any of these labels actually fit the band, or do you think that all of it's just nonsense? Um, you know, sometimes they all fit the band for like five minutes. You know? <laughs> it, it's, it's, labels are weird. I mean, labels, um, labels are a guide, but that's all they are. They're not a definition. Um, right, but to people who sell records and write about them, they can somewhat become sometimes even 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 without their really wanting to, they can become definitions. So if you're in a band and and you and you label yourself as you usually label yourself for a little while, and then you just kind of want to be you, and the rest right. of the world goes in labels because they that's their you know that's what they use it for. It doesn't bother me that much, you know. Um, the only thing I'm labeling ever bothered that ever bothered me is when they called it metal. You know okay. what I mean? I was like, metal, dude, this <laughs> is like so far from metal. It's and it gets me in trouble. You know, they put you in the metal <laughs> section and they go play some metal show and the metal guys, you know, they don't want metal. They don't want you know blues because basically right. I sing blues. You know, when when it comes down to vocals and stuff, it's all blues based. The metal guys usually aren't into that unless they're really old school. So that's the only right. time that bothered me. Gotcha. Okay. Um, over the years, how do you feel that your songwriting has evolved? Um, it's taken me. It takes me less time to write songs now, so that's good. Um, it it's evolved pretty well. I think I, I'm. I like songs, right? Um, I mean, I like long psychedelic pieces and stuff, and I really love writing music separately than words mm-hmm. as music. But I like the whole bit of the words and music together. Um, so I think it's involved uh, pretty good. I think I'm better at it now. But I, uh, to tell you the truth, I think um, it's time for me to, like, switch styles. So I think I'm going to actually try to put myself in a, in, a, in a discomfort zone on the next record and see what I can come up with. Okay. So you already have, even though uh, this album is about to come out, you already have your mind on what you're going to be doing a few months or a year down the road with the next album. Yeah, actually, I do. I, I start, just started a record company of my own called Lord uh, called uh, Studio Thirteen. Okay. And it's a uh, it's like kind of like a demo deal, like a demo studio, except a little bit not quite as chuddy as like coming out of my house. And uh, I'm doing it with Phil Cavano, another guitarist from Monster Magnet. And we're gonna put out. We're actually got the first couple things coming out this month or, or November. Um, okay. Stuff that we did, stuff that may not fit the usual expectations in a monster magnet record so it's like right maybe it'll be like either old school magnet or something that's not psych or hard rock something mm-hmm. weird maybe like cabaret dirge just some sort of demented elton john stuff i guess it's got this <laughs> overwhelming urge to do to do um traditional singer songwriter stuff but like really fucked up you know, right. like, you know, you know, Elton John, like fucking just on meds, you know, like dying. Um, <laughs> what did Elton John sound like? It was just in his last words, like, ah, yeah. Um, something <laughs> strange. And I really don't think it should take a lot of time or money to make. It's the kind of stuff that shouldn't be, there shouldn't be a lot of it. And it works out fine. I could do this stuff right in my hometown, right around the corner at Phil's house. He lives mm-hmm. on 13 Broad Street. And we could start putting out just weird fucked up stuff um singles you know and do like a seven inch or a ten inch at a time so be one or two or four songs every three or four months put them out with okay. an edition get it out there to people who really want to hear it and 
maybe get to the monster advantage. May would who could possibly freak out if I put this stuff out as the next monster man record? <laughs> right. Because you know, they they would they'd be like, what the fuck is this shit? You know. Um, <laughs> so I, that's really cool. So that's that's what I'm planning to do in the future with that kind of stuff. And if that works out, people like it. Man, I may uh, you know form something alongside Magnet to do that either way or you know in between Magnet records. Okay. Cool. Um, with regards to the specific songwriting on Masterminds, did you look to accomplish something specifically with the album, or do you just go at it and say, hey, let me see, you know, what's the best that I can do at this point in time, and you just record that? Uh, this one, I was actually, I was sitting on a tour bus in um, in England last year, around this time, or a little bit later, and I just found out that we were actually contracted to do this record in uh, 2010. And if I didn't do it really, really quick in 2010, it wouldn't be out till 2011. So I kind of freaked out. So any kind of master plan or anything that I would have come up with was definitely gone. So I just said, all right, uh, I just I have to write, write a record that where the majority of the stuff can be played well live. And uh, that's where it came from. I was like, live, really, really simple riffs, not a lot of overdubbing. Strong, big, giant bass. Um, I wanted to use all. I wanted to use like Gibson guitars on this record. Not a lot of not a lot of Fenders and stuff like that. I wanted this to sound like a more like a vintage fucking uh, I don't know Sabbath album or something like that. I just wanted right. big, thick, ropey things. So the whole thing was based on just like excitement. You know, I wanted stuff to to, to play live really, really well, and that's how I started it. And later, it turned into just a, like a a weird episode of me writing all the words in a hotel room in California while watching way, way, way too much television. <laughs> okay. Yeah, you know, four hours of corporate news, which, will, by the way, my friend, will make you want to jump off a fucking building. I don't know if you ever watch corporate. You ever watch, like, four hours of CNN? I haven't done that in, like, ten years. I almost, I almost like, killed myself. It was, like, horrible. That, I watch that, and uh, adults win. Just, like, hours and hours of robot chicken. <laughs> and uh, it just it drove me insane. I said I went nuts. That and uh, laptop, iPad, music, comic books, everything piled up. Three weeks of that, I was ready to write. Gotcha. Robot Chicken is definitely an excellent show. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. <laughs> uh, and getting back to what you just mentioned, I mean, the album is full of great riffs and hooks. And I mean, honestly, when I started to hear the album. The the first thing that came to mind is, you know, this is what a rock album or a hard rock album should sound like, you know, in 2010. Cool. It has, you know, the feelings that you said, you know, going back to Sabbath, going back to, say, a lot of 70s stuff, but it sounds very current as well. Thanks, man. Yeah, I try to – exactly what I try to do. I try to feature all the – I try to feature what's in my head was some of the best – of what I think is great uh, with really cool sounding rock like fucking like really ropey guitar riffs and like you know I'm a big I'm a classic rock fan but my classic rock is like a little bit different than what they play on the radio right you know my classic rock is Hawkwind and, and you know Alice Cooper B-sides and all the stuff they don't play on the radio and right. uh, uh, anybody who's into music knows that if you scratch the surface behind the classic rock genre and go back into that 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 time period between 69 and, say, 73, it's fucking awesome. Right. I mean, it's like a renaissance of music. There's all kinds of cool stuff. And by no means, it, what I really call it dated, I would just call it experimental and cool. 
And so I do that, and then everything kind of falls into place. There's certain stuff you have to do. So I was in the studio just screaming out, like, kiss, you know, the bass player, <laughs> kiss, blue oyster cult, kiss, you know. And then if the, you know, when my producer, co-producer Matt Hyde was getting, okay, you know, it sounds like kiss, and I was like, all right, fuck it up, you know. Now it sounds, <laughs> it sounds exactly like kiss, now fuck it up even more. So it's just like judgment calls and like vibe calls along the way. It's really fun to do. Right. You know, making a record is like the most fun in the world. You get to, it's like a kid in a candy shop. You play with all these fuzz boxes, and, you know, cool stuff. And that was actually one of my questions that I had a little bit further down, but we'll jump on it right now. Uh, what types of different, you know, cool different toys did you get to uh, play around with in the studio this time around that perhaps you didn't mess around with previously? Well, it's like, it's so much stuff. I think we just had a better. I've been running through vintage gear since we first started this band, and vintage gear always breaks. So it's always a, it's similar stuff, but different models of the old fuzz boxes and stuff. And I guess what we what we really use different on this record than other ones. I mean, needless to say, we had you know cartons of effects pedals that we had to go through all this stuff. What we what we used on this one that we didn't use in the past was basically the car lineup was different it was mainly like humbucket pickups it was like get okay. some guitars and stuff like that and in the past they used a lot of strats you know to get for like a hendrix thing the gibsons were thicker and uh and that's what i wanted but I, I didn't want to get it too metal with the gibson stuff but we just really really worked with a lot of gibson guitars which we never did before and uh vintage old vintage marshall amps that pre-metal stuff and uh worked with a lot of sounds that in the end, it didn't require a fuzz box. It just required kind of blowing the amp up a little. Okay. So it was kind of a more natural thing. Okay. Gotcha. Um, the other thing that I did want to mention regarding the album, this this album feels to me like it's a, um, well, obviously it comes from Monster Magnet, so it feels like it's in the bloodline um, or almost like an evolution of, say, Power Trip and and Monolithic Baby in the sense that, I feel like the album has a lot of what I like to call accidental hits in the sense that there are songs that you guys probably didn't set out to, you know, write a hit single, but they're so damn infectious in the end. They get stuck in your head and you either have a riff or you have a chorus part that is just in your head for hours upon hours or days at a time. Awesome. I mean, that's a, that's a huge compliment. Thanks. Uh, yeah. I, I like, I like the hook thing. You know, I try to listen for, for hooks whenever I can. So uh, I'm big on repetition. I like dealing in repetition. I remember telling those guys when they came in, I said, you, you guys are going to hate me when we start <laughs> this thing up because it's going to feel like you're just playing the same thing over and over and over again. But I promise you at the end of it, it'll make sense. And, and that's really what it is. I mean, it's like I love the sound of the 70s. I love the sound of the 70s rock. The stuff I didn't like about 70s rock is that it went on too, way, way too long. Mm-hmm. And great parts would be interrupted by like little boogie woogie shop parts. Well, none right. of that, you know. Just take out all that <laughs> and kind of put in, dare I say, almost a pop sensibility of you know if something sounds cool, repeat it. Mm-hmm. Whether it be a melody line or a guitar part. And so a lot of times with the leads, I'll ask you know the guys that are playing the leads, like, don't just riff, you know, play that part over and over again. Like, I really want to hook it in. Um, it's it's that's left over from years of listening to. The Stooges, as well as MC5, Ramones, 
stuff like that. Those guys were very, you know, it, it didn't sound, you wouldn't think of them as look oriented, but they were. Right. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Definitely. Um, and that actually takes me to uh, my next question. You just mentioned the Stooges. You guys have done a bunch of different covers, including Gimme Danger. You did, yeah. you know, uh, 2000 Light Years from Home, Black Celebration from Depeche Mode. So obviously the band, you know, you guys are pulling influences from all over the place. Um, what was the first band or artist to really light the spark and say, you know what, I want to be a musician? Um, Got to be, that would have to be the Ramones. Um, before that, I was just a huge fan. When I was a little, little kid, I started going to concerts when I was like 11. Mm-hmm. And it was pre-Ramones, New Jersey, you know, the pre-Ramones world of rock. And there was still plenty of good shit from the early 70s around, but things were starting to get a little weird. But I right. was a complete fan. And I went to all the shows. I went to all the shows on 14th Street and um, Madison Square Garden. And I saw all, you know, this great stuff like Roxy Music, Hawkwind, mm-hmm. um, UFO, David Bowie, Alice Cooper, all those big shows in the, se- in the like, say, 73, like 77. But I, I never saw myself as anything more than, like, you know, a kid with a bag of pot and a ticket loving this shit. But then I was coming out of the garden one night, and we were all hanging around, and these people were hang, handing out flyers for this thing downtown, which was which turned out to be CBGB's. Huh. And it was, it was handsome Dick Manitoba from the Dictators. Right. It was himself handing out flyers in front of the garden at, like, a Bowie show. Huh. And he's like, hey, you kids, you know, you, you want to go... He goes, yeah, you know, we got we got a place downtown, and we're like, what is this? And we knew the Dictators. I had the Dictators album. You know, Dictators don't get enough credit. They were they were out before anybody. And, right. Uh, and we're he goes, come on down. So we came in out, down there and saw the show, and then came back like a week later and watched the Ramones, and we freaked out. <laughs> I've never been that close to a band before. You know, up until then it was all like you know. Madison Square Garden, or sitting in the seat at the Academy of Music. This is like right, you're right there. And plus, I'm drinking underage. I was like, now this is living. <laughs> when the Ramones played, I was like, holy shit! I think I could probably do this. You know, they were the first band I looked at, and I was like, they're not doing that much, but they got a lot of attitude. Right. You know, and I was like, bam, that that's what did it. We all, me and my friends, we all did it. We're like, within a week, we formed a band. <laughs> Cool. Yeah, interesting you bring up um, Dick Manitoba there. Dick Manitoba and the Ramones sort of had uh, some issues going back and forth because they both ended up covering, uh, was it California Sun? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, they had a little war going on there. I remember that. So um, were there any covers considered for this album? You know something? It never even came into my head. Um, I, I was so freaked out about meeting the deadline that I just went in and wrote as much as I could, and then I just put them all out. Um, I figured uh, when I got to the point, somebody in the band mentioned, like, what, no covers on this one? I was like, nah, let's just go. You know, let's just go with this, and we'll see what happens. We're going to have, I have a feeling this record's going to, like, be around for a little while, hopefully, so we'll get a chance to do some more uh, and stranger covers. And I think on the Studio 13, we might start dipping into some strange territory cover-wise. That's cool. Um, we initially started talking a little bit about comic books, and you brought it up as well later on with the writing of this album. Uh, you also obviously mentioned the Fantastic Four and 
the Titan that cried like a baby. Yeah. Um, how has uh, comic books influenced uh, your writing over the years? They influence it constantly. Um, it, it, whether they whether it be a direct influence, like only a couple times that I ever actually look at a comic book and go, "Wow, what a cool title!" You know, I'll swipe that title. Um, right. Most of the time, it's just the fact that they exist and how they're created. They, just the whole notion of comic books just really, really makes my blood go fucking crazy. It, they're, it's one of these mediums that, well, I guess it's less and less that more, but it's really created by one or two people. There's not a lot of people in between the, crea- in between the creators and the reader. Right. You know, it's real individualism when you think about it. Oh, yeah, okay, it's like, you know, it's pop. It's pulp and stuff, but I don't know too many other businesses yet, or, or you know, in entertainment where it's like one guy, one guy or two guys just putting their brains together. Most of the time, they're like nerds, right? Creating stuff that's really super fucking badass, um, and not too many people get in the way. It's mm-hmm. not like the movies where one, you know, you have an idea and then there's fifty guys tearing it right. up. <laughs> My biggest thing with comic books that always got me. Ever since I first learned that men actually, men and women actually did them, was uh, was Jack Kirby, and still okay. one of my favorite guys ever. He's dead now, but this guy was this little dude who lived in Long Island, never left his basement, had a wife and kids, smoked a cigar, mm-hmm. and sat down there in his basement when he was 55 years old and created like Galactus, the Silver Surfer, stuff that was more psychedelic than any of the young people were putting out in their 60s. Right. He just sat there and hammered it out, man. This little guy, I don't know where he's getting it from, but that's what psychs me up about comic books. The fact that all these amazing concepts and anything goes can come out of like a single mind. It inspires me to work. Cool. And it's interesting that uh, two Red Bank natives are known a lot for their comic books, Kevin Smith and you. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you're right. I used to work at a comic book store and Kevin Smith used to come in. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) That's cool. Have you ever checked his shop out? Oh, yeah, that's my comic store. Yeah, I live three blocks away from there. Oh, no kidding. That's my LCS, dude. (laughs) Um, Speaking about comics and graphics and things of that nature, a lot of your album covers have had a very graphic theme to them, obviously, outside of two of them, which featured... The band on the cover. Pretty much right. everything else has been some type of, you know, graphic. Uh, a variation of yeah. an animal with horns, more or less. That's right, the bull god. Um, how did that all come about? I came out just really, really early on. Uh, we were doing a seven inch for uh, Glitter House Records, which is Glitter House and Caroline, two old, really, really old indies, late eighties, right. early nineties, and. Uh, you know, I played around with with uh, images for Monster Man the whole time. Um, I would make up little covers for uh, demo cassettes, and I always had either some comic book thing. And I'm like, I used a lot of Basil Wolverton art, old space space and strange artist guy. And then I was like, wow, we gotta have we gotta have a mascot, man. You know, so right? I said, what what says it all? What says like devil horns in the air plus like seventies. Uh, but would still be like actually like silly enough for people to get the joke, you know, kind of right. like a wink. And I took this old bull 
It's a, in retrospect, it's the goopiest-looking thing I've ever seen. An old bull god, uh, this <laughs> bull from a Masters of the Universe set, like a toy huh. set. Right. And it's this bull, like kind of goofy-looking bull, sitting up like a like a god, sitting straight, you know, standing straight up, with no no legs, just like a torso. And I was like, "That's him. It's the bull god," you know. And uh, I put him up next to a psychedelic poster, took a picture of it, put the word "Monster Man" above it, and that was it. And he's been around ever since. He's he just kept like up in the ante on his quality. Right. How much of a um... The process is it picking out which bull god is going to be on the next album cover? Do you guys get a lot of different options, or do you more or less have, you know, a fixed idea and that's what you want somebody to go with? Well, we always evolved. You know, first I mean, the, the bull god was like I, I designed him, and then he was rendered by uh, this guy named Rob Leacock, who's a really, really, really good artist, and he's like a little bit out of our stratosphere now. And that was for Spine of God, and then. I was like, well, we got to put the, we got to put him on something else. We put I had him put like a statue, uh, much like the Statue of Liberty in the, in the final scene of the Planet of the Apes, like right, kind of crashed, you know, on 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 this <laughs> album tab. And then I kept wanting to get new ones, so we worked with a really like a kind of a logo logoized graphic of him. Right, on Power Trip. We used a. Uh, um, uh, a kind of a, a pulp, uh, like an old painted style, like pulp cover one. And I kept having them done. We had a Cyclops bull god. We had a four-armed Cyclops <laughs> bull god um, with like, uh, no, four, what do I say, six-armed, you know, six-armed Cyclops bull god, like shooting up heroin. But that didn't right. happen too well. And <laughs> then then we had this, this guy with pipes, you know, I was just like, let's give him like drag pipes for horns. And he was my favorite one. And we've actually just gone back to him recently and kind of redid him in like kind of a Mark Ryden style. Right. He seems to be the guy that's coming out on top of the all-time favorite bull gods. Cool. Very cool. And um, discussing New Jersey a bit for a second, um, I mean, I can proudly say that out of all the bands that I've listened to from Jersey, there are three that always come to mind, Misfits, Monster Magnet, and out of left field, the Smithereens. I've always liked them for yeah. some reason. The Smithereens are really good. Uh, yeah. I saw them a bunch. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Very cool. Um, tell us a little bit about what it was like to sort of race through the ranks through the uh, tri-state area. You know, it, it, it's strange because, like, mostly in New Jersey, and you know you know what it's like being from New Jersey. You're really in the shadow of New York City. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, so you're in the shadow, and you're right next to it, but you really are in the shadow. I mean – you go 50 miles away from the biggest, greatest city in the world, and you feel like sometimes you feel like you're like in Georgia. <laughs> right. Like, oh, I might as well be on the edge of the earth. And nobody was listening. Nobody was taking our shit here in Jersey. So I went to Germany. You know? Huh. I mean, yeah. I mean, we 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 play the Brighton Bar. We wouldn't even fill the Brighton Bar, and I was like, we're never gonna get out of here. Um, <laughs> you know, they're not gonna get it here. We go to New York, and they're not gonna get it because they they know we're from New Jersey. Right. You know what I mean? We go there and oh, you the guys from Jersey. Okay, you're on last. Like no, yeah. no, no please, <laughs> or first. Uh, so what I did was I started sending out tapes overseas because I had always, in my mind, thought of Germany and Europe to be of a more psychedelic mind, right? Than here, I mean, musically they're more valid. More people buy different stuff. So we went there. We had to go there to make it big here. We came back with like a you know like an arm full of reviews and. 
some action going on, and then we were accepted here. Hmm. And that's how it was done. Very interesting. You, you know, and you'd never imagine that, you know, all these years later, uh, because you guys are so identified with being, you know, a U.S. band, that you actually had to come over here to Europe to make it big and then go back. I know, well, that's the, kind of like the state of – that's the uh, – the state of the music industry today, the state of culture today. Yeah. Like the, the U.S. is really, really tough. The U.S., you know, I mean, for a bunch of reasons, but the U.S. is not going to give anybody any chance uh, to grow. There's not enough time in the in the uh, 24-hour news and selling cycle to let anybody grow. Right. Every, you know, the, the way it works now is with the Internet is everything is the next big thing and nothing mm-hmm. is the next big thing. You know what I mean? Right. There's no focus. And uh, without a healthy live situation, you can't get people to focus. You know, you can't get people to focus by downloading your music or, or going because they're just going to download something else. Live right. is the only way where you can really get them in one spot and say, hey, you're not leaving until, you know, you're not <laughs> leaving here until you love this. And the states is tough with that because for a bunch of reasons, um, people aren't going out to shows as much. And do you think, um, in other, well, gauging from your response, I would imagine that you feel that the internet has done more to hurt music in general than has done to help it. Nah, it's probably evened it out. It's just changed it, you know. I think it'll all come up even in the end. But we're definitely okay. in a spot where we're in a spot where it's um, it, it, we're not on the good side of it. You know what I mean? I mean, there are gotcha. a lot of people going like, this is great. You know, it's like Liberation Day. It's like, no, i got to tell you, it's, it's going to be Liberation Day, but not for you and not now. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Right, right. <laughs> you're going to have to, you're going to have to wait. You're going to have to take one for the team here. Um, it, it, it levels the playing field to such a state that there is no field. No one mows the field. You know what I mean? It's right. filled up with dog. The field of music is filled up with dog turds and crap, and nobody can identify a piece of shit from a piece of gold. Right, there right, right. No ex- there are no experts because everybody's an expert. Um, right. It's a pretty amazing <laughs> time in our history. You know, it's a, it's amazing time in entertainment history. I love it. Where everyone, it's like the invention of the six gun. You know, when the six gun came out, all of a sudden the little guy could fight with the big guy. It was completely new concept that a little guy could be a big guy. Because the right. was, and the internet's the same thing. We've all got the same tools. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, though, ego and, I, and, a, and a huge, huge identity crisis has forced people to to uh, misuse their responsibility. You know what I mean? More people are in the internet to hear themselves think than they are to either create or get out of the way of creators or support creators. It's really the internet is being used as a big magazine for for everyone. So right. networking, everything. Me, 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 me. Now it's uh, they they call it the '70s to me generation. Forget it. <laughs> this is it. So everybody's a star and everybody's an expert. Everybody's a critic and everybody's a DJ. Um, which is great if you like crap, <laughs> you know, <laughs> because you know we live in this three star world where everything gets three stars. It's like, dude. Either give it five stars, either cover what you like, and just don't pay attention to the other stuff. But the yeah. people can't help it. I see review sites, blogs, where they review every record that comes out, and they don't like any of them. It's like, wouldn't, don't you think it would help? <laughs> don't you guys think it would help if you focus on the stuff you liked 
Yeah. And just don't mention the stuff you don't like. It'll go away. But it's all about content. We've got this cycle. Machines that run faster than we do, they can hold more in their memory banks than we ever could. And humans are fighting to keep up with the pace of the goddamn machine. Right. <laughs> so quality, backseat quality. Hi, I am quality. Hi, I'm quantity. Quantity, you right up front with me. Quality, sit in the back. <laughs> it's not yeah, that's that it's a... gone. It's just that it's riding in the backseat. Yeah, that's that's absolutely true because I've been doing um, some freelance work for a site and I received news I think it was two weeks ago that well you know the uh, the reviews are too almost too pleasant was what they were trying to get across. What we want to do is we want to slam the artists more to uh, to create more controversy. And I'm thinking right. this isn't why I like music. You know, I want to yeah. write about stuff that I that I like. You know, if not, it just becomes like a chore, honestly. Well, exactly. I mean, really, I mean, if, you know, I'm lucky enough that I can play music and I play music in a band and I'm really, really lucky that I get to do that. Right. If I didn't, I would still love music as much. Believe me, I was a fan of music way before I played music. I never pictured myself in the band. Right. I was a huge fan. Like I said, bag of pot at concert tickets. Every last red set was, <laughs> was spent on albums and stuff. I could never imagine the fan in me sitting down day after day and writing negative reviews, I mean, what's the point? I yeah. want people to know why I like something. I don't care uh, why, you know, getting across why I don't like something. Maybe it was political or something, but when it comes to music, there's no reason. There's no right. reason. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help everybody out and tell you how much I hate it, and I'm going to prove to you that I'm a pretty snazzy writer while I'm doing it. Blah, blah, <laughs> blah, 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 blah. Ambush train wreck journalism, ambush journalism, train wreck, and just general cutting down is not music reviews, what they're, what they're doing. It's just, it's just kind of like a modern snide way of getting, of telling jokes. Right. Of telling a joke. And stuff. It doesn't help music at all. Um, I, I honestly don't know who reads those things besides the band. I mean, bands pay more attention. If I think music reviews would be better and be more read if they were a little bit more responsible. I mean, there was a time, I'm actually old enough to remember, there was a time where music journalism was actually respected. Mm -hmm. And there were a lot of good writers out there. You know, there was Lester Bangs, um, certain guys from Rolling Stones in the 70s. And uh, people actually paid attention to what they were doing. Now, because of the, the, the ripping and the shredding, mm -hmm. I don't know where people go to find out what's good and what's not. You know, it, it's, uh, it, I guess the people have to get over it. You know, everyone's going to have to uh, get to the point when they make up their own minds. Right, right, right. On, on what they want to, who they want to follow. But it would be nice to have a collective of bloggers that actually love music. And I'm not talking, I'm not talking like idiot likers. I like <laughs> everything, you know. Um, right. But, man, if you want to put something down the best way, don't review it at all. Mm -hmm. That's the best way. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely, because so it doesn't exist. I mean, you really want to, but they don't like that. <laughs> they want to hear themselves right. I, I have a, I, I, I totally know, uh, because I've known these kind of people. They're like old indie journalists from the way, from way back, haters, fucking snide guys, and you know, hang out with, you know, they're like old Matador people, um, you know, those guys, and they really can't exist without a bunch of music to 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 rat on.
Right. You know, they pick one hero a year, and usually it's somebody that doesn't sound like anything, so they can they can put their own spin on it. Right. And the rest of the time is is tearing everything down. In the old, it's kind of an old echo of the '60s. Like I'm going to tell the people the way it really is. But guess what? They don't care, dude. They don't <laughs> care, you know. And they certainly right. don't care about your idea of why it's really bad, you know. Um, I don't know how we got into this, but I could go on forever because it's really funny <laughs> that what it is, it's really about everybody being an entertainer in their own way. Mm-hmm. The, the writer being an entertainer as well as the uh, as a musician. Yeah, it could be to an extent that you know a lot of the writers are also trying to almost get that notoriety. A, a lot of you know critics are, are obvious. You know, Tommy said they're failed musicians or people that just didn't make it. You know, so right. they have a chip on their shoulder to say, ah, you know, I didn't make it, but this guy did. So I'm going to show him, you know, that I'm better by, you know, slamming whatever he's done. Yeah, it, but, very could, it very well could be. And, and, I, but, and I know that in a lot of their heads, of course, not everybody's like this, but right. in a lot of their heads, they really think they're doing people a favor by by spending a lot of their time bashing stuff. You know, they're like... No, no, I, I'm I'm the cleaner. You know, I'm the guy that mm-hmm. I'm the guy that sweeps the garbage out of the way so the good stuff will come in. But what <laughs> they don't realize is that they're usually wrong. They're not speaking for the people. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, how many guys have put? How many guys in the '70s put down Black Sabbath? How many guys put down? You know, like uh, Rob Zombie, who I'm not a huge right. fan of at all. But people are like, oh, this is the worst shit in the world. And Rob Zombie's doing great, dude. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Come out and ask his fans. It's like, you can say what you want. But there's somebody out here making a lot of people happy. You don't like it? Then don't cover it. Yeah. Absolutely, you're right. You know, you don't cover it. They get no attention whatsoever because if you're, you know, if you're printing something negative, there's going to be a certain percentage of people that are going to say, you know, ah, this guy's a a jerk off. Let me find out, you know, what this band is really about for my own, you know, for myself. Mm-hmm. It's a it's interesting world. We'll see what happens when everybody gets there. Uh, yeah. I never thought there would be this much space for that many people to write. But with blogs and everything like that, it's like, oh, yep. Jesus Christ, the poor newspaper guy. You know, imagine going to college to be like an art critic. <laughs> if you went to college to be an art critic, like say in the 80s, and then the mm-hmm. internet like totally takes control, and then you're like, well, fuck me. <laughs> I went to college, and it doesn't matter. They're listening to Rotten Tomatoes more than they are to me. Right, right, right. Yeah, absolutely. This is why. <laughs> you ever seen but, that, but, that movie Heckler? I actually haven't. Hmm. You'd love it. Watch it. It's a, it's a bunch of comedians interviewed about being heckled. No kidding. It's awesome. I mean, it's fucking awesome. And they, they and then they get into not just the physical heckling, but internet uh, reviews and stuff. You'd right. love it. It's really, really cool. You could say, these guys are steaming. They're so <laughs> mad. I definitely have to check that out then. That would definitely be something I'd be interested in. That's cool. Yeah, um... Getting back to another topic with the internet, sort of touching on something you mentioned before regarding shows being down, uh, people mm-hmm. going less people going to shows, I should say. Yeah. Um, I actually have a theory that I think that the biggest factor with that is YouTube, uh, because sure. you know way back when 
you know, you didn't know what set list somebody was going to play. You didn't know what, you know, uh, if we're talking about Kiss or Alice Cooper, one of these groups that are very theatric, you know, you didn't know what their, you know, what their costumes look like or what their outfits look like. And if you did, you know, it was one magazine that you saw every so many months. It wasn't, right. you know, uh, let me see what, you know, what kind of uh, stage setup Monster Magnet had last night. Ah, this is their set list, you know. Mm -hmm. um, it sort of takes the surprise out of it. So I think a lot of people aren't going out to check shows out because of that, because there isn't that special ingredient that you had, you know, that element of surprise that you had before. I totally agree. I mean, you know, you you want to you know you want to take the piss out of of any great event, kill the anticipation. Anticipation <laughs> is everything. It's show based. You know, it's everything. It's yeah. everything. It's what makes things good. It's it's often anticipation generates a feeling that is actually better than the event. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean, it's a, it's a, it's an essential component to a great event is the anticipation leading up to it. Um, right. And, and the other is it, it can work two ways. One essential component to a great event is is anticipation, and the other one is surprise. It can work either way. Mm -hmm. But with the YouTube thing and the Internet, there's neither of that. In mm, fact, right. I mean, you can see people are looking for anticipation. They're looking for a surprise, which is why when somebody falls off stage, that's <laughs> the best thing on YouTube. You know, finally, you know, something is surprising. You know, somebody fell off stage. Good. You know? um, somebody got in a fight. Great, at least it's a surprise. Um, it's hard to, yeah, it's hard to compete with that, man. I mean, right. there's a lot, there's lots of stuff that's out there today that's very hard to compete with. Hard to compete with lack of anticipation, um, and it's hard to compete with free. How do you compete mm -hmm. with free? You know, free, free. I like free. Yeah. You like free. We <laughs> probably don't really respect free. I don't respect free stuff. You know what I mean? I'll right. take it. I don't respect. I was like, oh, what's, what's the trip? So we've got all these things that are working against the old model of rock and roll. Mm -hmm. The way the internet's set up, where everything comes out at once and leaks and comes out, but there's no like pot boiler. Things don't pot boil. Records mm -hmm. don't pot boil like the way they used to. They come up and they sit in that pot boil on the old record system and they pop out on a Tuesday. Yeah. And blah, you know they have enough momentum behind them. Now things kind of leak out all the different sides of the pot. There's like a million holes. Mm -hmm. um, the live thing in the States is a combination of that and just prices. Right. Insurance. You know, the reason why it works so great in Europe is because, not just because the culture is, it has been a live sidewalk culture for the longest time, as opposed to a car culture, you know. We have mm -hmm. car culture, and that kind of leads to just, and cars are like an extension to your bedroom, you know. Right. I'll go and sit in my car. And that, and that, you know, and when times get rough, you know, people choose to stay home. They have places to go. In Europe, it's it's not a car culture. You got to get out of your apartment. You got to go somewhere. That helps yeah. too. And the prices are reasonable because, well, over here, the insurance is just like out of control. So right. the car owners have to pay tons of insurance. And the best way for them to save money is to is to promote drinking, which means they lead out. Another huge component in why rock and roll always did well. It attracted mm -hmm. teenagers. I think got these clubs that won't let teenagers in. It's like, dude, you're like really fucking yourself over. There's not, <laughs> you know, the biggest rock and roll fan in the world is in between 12 and 18. It's all downhill yeah. after that. 
they become musos after that, you know, which is still <laughs> good. But I would rather have a, a fucking teenager going, holy shit, Fuzzbase, than some muso <laughs> going, hmm, I think they used Fuzzbase on the second album, you know. It's like the difference <laughs> between playing a, a, a person who really wants to rock and playing to the comic book guy on The Simpsons. Right, 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 right. You know, a whole room full of comic book guys. It's like, if you're in a band, you don't want that. Those are your worst enemies. Mm, I saw this last week. Fuck you. you know? No. So that's the state's got a big problem. Um, and you can see the promoters, they try to work this around. They go, okay, what we'll do is we'll get all the kids, and we'll get all the pants, and they'll gang up. We'll put big, long shows, and we'll put them at the local PNC Bank Art Center. You know, those big sheds yeah. that are outside that are used, usually used for classical music and like Richie Valens. Mm-hmm. And, and they put it there. And it's like the DB limit is low. The place is all clean. The bottles of water cost $7 an hour. Dude, that's <laughs> not rock and roll. It's Broadway. It's Broadway. Yeah. And they expect a 14-year-old kid to, and, you know, and everyone goes, I don't know, rock is dying. Well, no wonder. This is what you show is rock. A bunch of old yeah. hair metal bands playing this in the afternoon. <laughs> it's a bunch. It's shit. It's yeah. not, that's not that. That's not the components. You know, where's the loud, deafening, ear-breaking volume? <laughs> where's the uncomfortable sweat? Where's the stinky room? You know, you got to shove these kids in there and beat the shit out of them. Mm-hmm. Then they'll come out like, yeah, you know, I know what it's like. Thank <laughs> God, there's still some kids around that that have to seek it out. You know, that will right. seek it out and make it up for themselves. But they don't last long in this in this economy, in this system. You know, the system works against them at every stage of the game. There's always a lawyer coming, you can't do this, you can't. You know, it's like, fuck. The parents don't trust their kids to do shit. They don't <laughs> trust their kids to have a rock and roll good time. Um, right. They just don't, you know. I mean, they're sitting on it. In Europe, it's different. The kid gets to be at 13, 14, good luck. That's what, literally, they go, well, good luck to yeah. you. They're expected to drink and fuck and get the stuff out of their system, and they do, and they're all right. Only here, in this strange dichotomous society called America, do we say, during the daytime, buy your home mail car and cards and remember your mother. And then at night, say, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. You know I mean? <laughs> it's, it's crazy. I mean, it's just double message, you know? Be nice, then cheat. Be nice, then cheat. And then... But don't get caught, or we'll sue you. Yeah. A lunatic, a lunatic asylum. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we have a um, company I work for. I'm over here in Spain, but we deal with U.S. clients. And some of the stuff that we hear, you know, with uh, lawsuits that they get pertaining to the stuff that we sell is outrageous. You know, really? stuff that makes you think that, well, I'll give you an example. Uh, what we sell is... Uh, maps for the internet and somebody's suing because they supposedly have a patent on a box that you can click on and it gives you different options to pick on different things and it's funny you know when I first heard about this I was thinking you know this would be like somebody from the 50s all of a sudden saying you know what I'm going to sue every band that came out after me because I patented that chord or that solo or this or that. It's just yeah. ludicrous that, you know, know. Uh, somebody would do something like that, you know? But, you know, it's it's kind of encouraged. It, it, yeah. I can't blame <laughs> people. Everybody sees somebody getting some sort of sweet deal. It's all yep. about winning contests in America now. It's either American Idol, hey, I won a contest. Now I don't have to work. 
or suing somebody, which is basically winning a contest. I sued somebody. Yeah. I won a contest. Winning a lottery. I won a contest. Any way to get over. Yeah. I don't see anything that goes out that says hard work is its own reward, or you could build yourself up, or you could make yourself into something, somebody, you you know, a new person. It's all like you're either a mogul and you're cheating people, and hooray for you because you fucked everybody over. Yeah. Or you won a contest and then stick your fingers up in the air like uh, like the guy on Eastbound and Down, you know. It's the Eastbound <laughs> right. and Down kind of thing, you know. Like I yeah. love his name; he's great. Uh, Kenny Powers. Uh... Kenny Powers, yeah. <laughs> Kenny Powers is like you know the that, that he is like a lot of you know that's the spirit that's going on underground in America. Fuck yeah. Yeah. You know, I'll explain why I'm crying and why I feel bad, but still, understand me, feel my pain, but still, fuck you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is, it is definitely weird. It's and it's been, I think, uh, a transition over the last, I don't know, decade, the fifteen years, maybe. Yeah, you know, we're yeah. slowly, you know, rolled into all that. Well, so. the whole Bush thing, you know, the whole the nine eleven and the Bush thing put the double whammy on people. It scared the living shit out of them. Nine uh, eleven scared the living shit out of people, and uh, of course, the media really helped to turn it into like a science fiction horror movie. Yeah, and uh, you know they, they couldn't resist it. That was the best story they ever had ever. You know, wow, this is great. And uh, <clears throat> between that and Bush turning into just like just rolling back the clock on on the intelligence, like once well, everybody gets dumber. Yeah, it, it really sent out these bad signals, and, and then you know a lot of the cooler people ran and hid, while and unfortunately a bunch of flag waving morons took over. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, just like this didn't just because something bad happened doesn't mean you can go out and like start dissing everybody. Like, come yeah. on, it's it's the twenty first century. We're supposed to be smarter. Bad, <laughs> bad show, bad show. You know, like, oh, come on, man. Mm-hmm. I, I, my, in no means am I some limp-wristed liberal, but I'm not some asshole conservative either. I don't seem to right. really realize them. Let's just get real, man. So what? They blew up the building. Big deal. Glad they didn't blow up your house. All right, let's get on with it. Mm-hmm. Just that, man. I'm going to serve freedom fries, and everybody can go get fucked. Because <laughs> God bless America, because blah, blah, blah. And meanwhile, you know, they're out of business. Their own country's putting them out of business, and they can't see the the forest or the trees. And now <laughs> we finally got to the state where the mass of America is ready to blame the government for a lot of their problems, but they're blaming the wrong guy, you know? Yeah, yeah. They're blaming Obama for everything that pushed it. Yeah, yeah. I I mean, it's it's interesting. It's like blaming the janitor because he's taking too long to clean the toilet, you know? It's not his fault that, (laughs) you know, someone shit there before he even got his hands on the detergent, you know? (laughs) I mean, if, you know, any, I mean, this is politics as usual. Whoever comes in, and gets left holding a, an extraordinarily stinky bag of shit. I mean, they always, yeah. you know, each president comes in and holds the other guy's bag and shit. But this bag of shit is two administrations long, and it's overflowing with crap. There's yeah. nobody in the world that could have taken Obama's job and not gotten a lot of shit for it. But yeah. he's getting more shit than any of these guys ever deserved, and it's got to be because they just don't, they don't like him. They're scared of him, man. Black man. Fuck it, it's too much for the people's nerves. It's just, it's too much for my nerves, <laughs> you know? Oh, my God. 
Yeah, it, it'll be interesting. You know, I've often thought about what will happen if, you know, if, if for some reason he isn't reelected, you know, the hell do they think the next guy's going to do? If he's halfway through the process of making things right, you know, it's just going to be a, a half-assed move to, you know, maybe they'll continue in the right direction, but chances are they won't. You know, won't. it'll just be the sake of saying, you know what, he fucked up, so I'm going to go in the other direction and pull, you know, yeah. pull not only the U.S., but a global economy and everything back into the shitter, you know, which. I guarantee you that is exactly what's going to happen because. The long-term thinking, if there is such a thing, long-term thinking on the Republican side is just – it doesn't matter if it's true or not. We just have to kill the Democrat. It doesn't matter. Yeah. I mean these guys have made their choice. Fuck it. We have no plan. We have nothing. The only plan that we can that we can trust in ourselves is, is basically the oldest one in the book, kill the opponent. So they're just <laughs> ripping down stuff and uprooting all these things that were planted for, for the betterment. Right. Just to say that we could, and then they'll go in and say that we're going to start. They'll shove some numbers around. Everything will look cool on paper for another five years, and boom, we'll have another recession twice as big as this one eight years from now. Guaranteed mm -hmm. to happen. It's not sooner. Morons. They don't give the guy yeah. a chance. It's like, hey, we want change. Well, we really don't want change. <laughs> it's like, how many times can this happen? Now, I'm like, you know, I'm old now. I'm like, I'm going to be 54. So. I've been around for a while. I've seen this shit happen. And over the years, as I've paid attention, I realize it's always the same thing. It takes – this country goes three steps ahead. Then another bunch comes in and tries to ruin them. Mm -hmm. And then we go three – or two steps back. So for every two steps we take ahead, we go two steps back. Unfortunately, we haven't really taken a head step in a long time because of the Bush night. So we're behind <laughs> right. the game. We're really behind. You know, We haven't had a really – Really, really great administration in a long time, and right. uh, you know Clinton was all right and stuff, but he wasn't like he didn't really like push it. You know, mm -hmm. He something you're like really, really going to push it. And the education factor for the masses is unbelievable. It just shows you, no matter how smart we are, no matter how much technology we have, we basically go always go to our our, our primal urges, which is you know like the finger up in the air. <laughs> the finger to the Kenny Powers comes out. Ah! <laughs> Fuck you. The man ruined my life. Um, God bless America. Well, whatever that means, they're saying God bless America, but at the same time, they're like, you know, talking about killing the guy. And <laughs> basically, they don't want to know. They don't want to know because understanding is pain. And if they understand what's going on, it's going to pain them. So they just want to go, leave me alone. Fuck you. It's a, it's a shame. Yeah. Absolutely. I have to agree with you 100%. Enough of this crap. What are we talking about here? <laughs> um, changing the subject then. Um, yeah. Being a lifelong wrestling fan, fan, excuse okay. me, fan, Jesus, um, you've been involved uh, with several things, including uh, Monster Magnet doing Matt Hardy's entrance, and your mm -hmm. music has been used in various pay-per-views and shows and so on. How'd you get involved with those guys? They called me. Uh, somebody, I'm trying to remember which manager. I go through managers like Spinal Tap goes through Spinal Tap goes through drummers. Um, <laughs> right. Um, somebody called me and said they they, they want to work. WWF wants to work with you. Uh, in mm -hmm. song because this Hardy guy said he liked Monster Magnet, and I was like, oh, fucking cool. Now I'm not a wrestling fan. I, I didn't even know what was going on. All I know is that I need the money really bad, and that. <laughs> The thing had to be done like in a week. 
Huh. And so and so I did it. I just I sat down and I wrote the song and then we I went up in this crazy couple of days, which was like the really coolest thing because nobody works like this anymore. They, meaning the WWF, mm-hmm. have a, like a media center. It's a real place. It's like a compound, mm-hmm. and it's in Stanford, Connecticut, I think. Right, yeah. And you go in there, and it's like gated walls, and you go in, and it's like this place where you can wrestle. They have a TV studio, a little radio broadcasting thing, a music studio. It was insane. Like It's really old school. That's the way people used to do it. <laughs> and uh, you can see why they're so tight and why they never go away because they really know what they're doing. So right. I went up there and did it, and it was a fucking riot. Huh. I didn't see any wrestlers or anything. I saw some wrestlers hanging around, but when we wanted to do the uh, the music and stuff, it didn't take that long, a couple of days. And it was out, and uh, it was great. And the WWF guys were were awesome. They're mm-hmm. Behind the scenes, there are all these like little nevish guys, like bookworm guys running the whole thing. Huh, no kidding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's very, very, uh, very sinister. Like, huh. you know, it's like, oh. That's very it's interesting. That, that that That's like the... Uh... The opposite of extreme of what you would uh, expect. Right, you would expect. Uh, I know, you know. I didn't know what I was. About. I was expecting maybe like the guy that was the head, of the owner, to be maybe a guy with a big belly and, and a and a stogie, mm-hmm. you know, like a cigar, like you guys. But it was uh, it was uh, a, a weirder thing than that. A little bit more sinister. It kind of was kind of cool, actually. In hmm. a weird kind of way, I was like, wow, it's kind of cool. Cool. And um, a few years ago, there was uh, a press release that you'd put out concerning your health. Um, how has that factored into your life and Monster Magnet since then? Well, I have not a lot since then. Since I got, I, I got better. It took me, you know, I got, I got really, really horribly addicted to uh, uh, temazepam, which is a benzodiazepine. It was prescribed for sleep, but it turned out to be it wasn't really a sleeping thing. It was an anti-anxiety thing, but it'll, it'll work for sleep and uh yeah it's brought me up i used it not for party purposes but actually to sleep you know amazing right and but yeah it's brought me up i mean i toured all over the world for a good five years taking that stuff and i slept exactly when i wanted to by like dosing myself hmm. and uh you know like better living through chemistry mother's little helper kind of thing right so when i went off it uh, I was pulled off it by some crazed doctor who actually is in jail now. As a matter of fact, my doctor's in jail. And huh. uh, yeah, yeah, he it turns out he was like a little bit too happy with the prescriptions. And um, <laughs> I, I, it just turned me into a fucking monster. I mean, just like right out of the movies, you know, staring at myself in the mirror like ah, you know, sweating, <laughs> and it, it, it damn near killed me. And I got a bunch of refills for the thing, and I didn't know how much I was taking. I overdosed on it, went to the hospital, freaked out. It took me a good two years to grow my nervous system back. I mean, literally, it has an effect on your on your neurons, your uh, neuroreceptors. So your brain waves, your your input, it's like a neuro, it's like input receptors. Basically, you're not getting all the signal. Right. Um, when they've been worn down. So it took me a long time to even be able to look anybody in the eye. I swear, for a year, I just stayed in my house and read books. Hmm. Um, just sat up there in my room and read and read and read. And then finally, it came back. When I got up one day, I was like, okay, you know, let's go. And uh, it hasn't been a problem since. Hmm. Well, I'm glad to hear that you've been yeah, able to yeah, overcome all that. <laughs> yeah, it was it was a, 
fucking nightmare. Made for good writing, though. Let me tell you, it's like I've never had uh, hallucinations like that. Even when I took acid when I was a kid and all that stuff, nothing like this co- coming off this stuff. No kidding. Wow. Yeah. And that's prescription stuff. <laughs> yep. Benzodiazepines. It's a whole new world of drugs out there. And I think a lot of the prescription stuff is uh, way more insidious and evil than some of the old school harsh. At least the harsh drugs, you know, when they're over, they're over. This stuff attaches itself to your brain stalk. And, you know, it's just like, yeah. ah, design a drug. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah, ladies and gentlemen, this is Dave Windorf of Monster Magnet, and you are listening to Mars Attacks. When your mind goes blank in the pool 
There we go, a little Gods and Punks coming off of Mastermind as well by Monster Magnet. Want to thank Dave for coming on the show, and I want to thank Ben over at Napalm Records who helped set everything up. Uh, took us a little while to get everything up and going, but he was very good about everything and was able to facilitate uh, Dave for me. And uh, uh, yeah, uh, Monster Magnet is a band that definitely um, marked of how would I say this? Maybe a um, a troubled time, perhaps. You know, you're in a new place. You know, I moved over here to Spain and. Um, Monolithic is my favorite album by the band. And the reason why I moved over here, you know, there was the what the hell am I doing here type of thing going through my head, you know. And uh, Monolithic was definitely an album that uh, helped me keep my spirits up. Really has a lot of just great kick-ass tunes. As I mentioned during the interview, a lot of infectious, you know, riffs and choruses that are just you know, in your head constantly. And the new album, Mastermind, is just like that. You know, I can't strike that home enough, you know. Um, If you're remotely a fan of the band, if you're remotely a fan of just good hard rock, go out and check the album out. And um, like I always say, support the bands that you like. So if this is something that you like, go out and buy it. You know, worst case scenario, go to iTunes, Um, But if not, get the CD in hand because it absolutely kicks ass. You know, there's no two ways about it. And, you know, there are a lot of albums that come out and you say, well, you know, there's two cool tracks on it. You know, there's one really good song, but there's one or two other songs that are sort of all right. Mastermind is great from start to finish. I mean, there is really no filler along the way. Songs that really jump out to me right off the bat. You know, I played Bored with Sorcery. I played the single Gods and Punks. I also played the Titan Who Cried Like a Baby. But Hallucination Bomb is really good. Um, The title track Mastermind is really good. 100 Million Miles is really good, All Out of Nothing, and everything in between is really just great. So just check the album out. We're probably going to play All Out of Nothing before things are done. As a matter of fact, let's get into that now before you know doing the usual uh, stuff where we tell everyone what else to check out regarding Mars Attack. So this is All Out of Nothing by Monster Magnet. <laughs> Just 
All Out or Nothing by Monster Magnet coming off of Mastermind. And once again, thanks go out to Dave and to Ben from Napalm. And uh, just want to remind you guys to check out the Twitter, MySpace, and Facebook groups. They're all on the right-hand side there of the MarsAttacksRadio.com website. Again, as I mentioned initially, you can listen to or download any of the episodes from MarsAttacksRadio.com. You can also find links over to uh, my Spanish-language show, Fusion Sonica. And uh, just remember to send your feedback. All types of criticism are welcome, good, bad, and indifferent. And uh, that is pretty much it. Thanks again for listening and... As I mentioned before, Monolithic is my favorite album by the band. I understand that I'm weird when it comes to uh, picking out things like that, but Monolithic just struck a chord with me, and hell, I was listening to it earlier today. Uh, In any event, we're going to wrap things up with something coming off of Dopes to Infinity. Of course, the name of the show is Mars Attacks, so what better than to close the show with King of Mars? See you next time. Come